0: Our second reading also comes from John's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 37 and 38a, at page 86 of the New Testament section of your pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow along. Pilate asked Jesus, So, you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth, Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the people again and told them, I find no case against him. We celebrate the written word of scripture. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a story about a minister who came upon two boys and a dog. In a friendly, patronizing way, the minister asked the boys what they were doing. Well, said one boy, we found this dog and we're going to have a contest for him. Whichever one of us can tell, the biggest lie gets to keep the dog. The minister was shocked and said, Boys, that's terrible. Why, when I was your age, I never told lies. There was a moment of silence. Then one boy shrugged and said, Well, I guess he gets the dog. (laughs) Human beings do not always tell the truth. That's nothing new. Some say that what is new is that we live in a time when the truth is under assault, that we live in a post-truth era. On my way to work this morning, a news commentator said our struggle with truth is making our country vulnerable to foreign interference and disinformation campaigns. So it is both timely and relevant that we continue this morning with our sermon series on what the Presbyterian Book of Order calls the great ends of the church by looking at number four, the preservation of the truth. Our first challenge is defining what we mean by the word truth. On the one hand, in the John passages today as well as elsewhere in Scripture, scripture truth is important jesus says that if we are his disciples we'll know the truth and it will set us free that's a wonderful promise the problem is that commentators are all over the map about what truth jesus is talking about here do we mean reality sometimes we use truth to mean what's really really real Or do we mean a human perception of reality? Sometimes we use the term to mean how a person or group perceives what's really there. In court, for example, when a person swears to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, we understand that only God could honestly fulfill that promise unless we've defined truth to mean an honest and full accounting of what you perceived. Do we mean our knowledge of reality, which is also limited, and sometimes even intentionally? Do we mean a feeling of certainty? When some people use the word truth, they mean a feeling of certainty and security that means they don't have to think about it anymore. They don't have to ask any more questions. In other words, case closed. Is the truth Jesus is talking about that we are to follow Jesus? And be his disciples. Chapter 8 of John is full of following and discipleship language. Or does Jesus mean truth generally? Truth as opposed to falsehood, as opposed to denial, as opposed to refusing to see the world the way it really is. You can see this gets complicated fast. It gives me some empathy for Pilate, who asks, what is truth? Pilot is curiously in sync with our contemporary culture. A recent Barna poll shows that 74% of Americans believe there's no such thing as absolute truth. A glaring example of our post-truth era occurred in the 2016 campaign when, during a morning show interview, a congressman insisted on defending one candidate's claim that crime rates are soaring. The host of the show cited FBI data showing that we're safer, crime is down. But the politician responded, no that's your view. The interviewer countered that this wasn't simply a matter of opinion and once again cited FBI crime statistics. The politician said, as a political candidate, I'll go with how people feel and I'll let you go with the theoreticians. In other words, Facts don't matter. My feelings create my own reality. Oh, and by the way, the folks who assemble crime statistics are not theoreticians. It has nothing to do with theory. They're documenting facts. We also see truth under assault in the number of people who believe that vaccines cause autism, even though the study supporting that claim has been debunked. We see it in the many people who prefer to believe that global warming isn't happening or that humans aren't part of the cause. We see it when somebody says, well, I'm entitled to my opinion. Maybe we've even said this ourselves as a way to short-circuit an argument, but it implies that all opinions are equally valid. That feels egalitarian and tolerant, doesn't it? And Here in Northern California, we try hard to be open to other people's perspectives. So maybe our challenge in today's great end, the preservation of truth, is this very struggle. How do we, the Church, hold the tension between Jesus' promise that there is truth and that it will set us free and our very legitimate desire to be respectful of other perspectives in a culture in which claims to truth are suspect, and sometimes rightfully so. Given the arc of John's gospel, I suspect the truth that Jesus means here is the truth about who God is and Jesus' identity as God's son sent from God. A number of interpreters say that the question we should ask is not what is truth, but rather who is truth? And the answer is Jesus himself. Now, this approach can sound exclusive at first blush, especially to tolerant and inclusive Northern Californians. Many of us love the passage in chapter 14 of John's Gospel where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. But then we shudder at the words that follow, no one comes to the Father except through me. People imagine that what Jesus is saying here is that Christianity is the only religion with any truth in it, that Christianity is the only way to God. But Jesus speaks these words in AD 30, more or less. It's the night before the crucifixion. There is no Christianity yet. Jesus is speaking only to his own followers. What hangs heavy in the air is his impending death. It's all anyone can think about. These words are part of Jesus' struggle to make his disciples understand why there is no way around the cross. He is the way and the truth and the life and that way and that truth and that life are about to be made visible in the towering tragedy of the cross and the towering miracle of the resurrection. Jesus' point is that there is no way to show forth the deepest truth about who God is except through what is about to happen. So in context, Jesus is not saying, my way or the highway. The preservation of truth in the Christian faith isn't intended to be a defensive battle, our truth against yours. Still, the fact is that I am a follower of this way, this truth, and this life. I am a Christian, and that means I believe in the God made known in Jesus Christ. At the same time that I respect and affirm other faiths, Jesus Christ is the one through whom I encounter God. His words, his life, his death, his life again have come to lie at the very center of my being. I love how Frederick Buechner describes this. He writes, "A Christian is one who points to Christ and says, I can't prove a thing, but there is something about his eyes." And his voice. There's something about the way he carries his head and his hand, the way he carries his cross, the way he carries me. Our Reformed tradition is clear that at the heart of our faith, the truth of our faith, is the resolute trust that Jesus Christ is God's self-defining Word. But our tradition also insists on a wonderful notion called the sovereignty of God. It's a fancy theological phrase that says, God can do whatever God wants to do. If God wants to speak to people through nature, God can do it. If God wants to speak through art or philosophy or other religions, God can do that too. Simply because God is God and God's freedom, God's sovereignty cannot be bound. The sovereignty of God reminds us that god is bigger than any theology bigger than any doctrine about god bigger than the church as richard Rohr puts it if we are really convinced that we have the big truth then we should also be able to trust that others will see it from their different angles or it is not the big truth so that means we can follow jesus wholeheartedly And have faith in him as somehow the truth and still accept that we don't corner the market on all of God's big truth Jesus says that if we do follow him we will know the truth and the truth will make us free what truth will we know what truth is it that makes us free it is the truth that we see In the words life death and resurrection of jesus that we are free and responsible creatures in a creation made by a good wise and loving god that our creator wants us to pursue virtue collaboration peace justice and mutual love for one another and god's creation of the many radical things said and done by jesus his unflinching emphasis on love was the most radical of all. That is the truth that I and others of us who choose to follow Jesus commit our lives to. So what does all this mean for us at First Presbyterian Church of San Anselmo? How do we fulfill the fourth great end of the church, the preservation of the truth? As followers of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life We begin by learning how to love God and love neighbor and practicing that daily. Just one of the many ways that we love our neighbors is by resisting our current post-truth culture. What does that have to do with loving our neighbors, my friends? If we lie to our neighbors, if we deceive our neighbors or pretend every opinion is of equal value, whether or not it's based on fact— We do not love them. I know that seems obvious, but apparently it isn't. How do you feel when you've been lied to? Do you feel loved or do you feel betrayed? Maybe you can remember a time when you would have done something differently or made a different choice or decision if you'd known the truth. The lie deprived you of that freedom. Do you remember when the tobacco companies knew that smoking causes cancer and heart disease way back in the 1950s, but they still fought tooth and nail to keep the public in the dark about it, denying any real connection? People might have quit smoking years earlier if they'd known. Doesn't make you trust the tobacco companies, does it? Don't feel the love. Without truth, people aren't free to make wise, informed, rational decisions. For example, when we make policies about refugees, shouldn't we know what refugees cost our, company, our country? A leaked version of a federal study showed that refugees to the United States brought in much more revenue than they cost the U.S. government. However, mention of the fiscal benefits of admitting refugees was excised from the study before it was finalized. Don't we need that truth to make good policy? George Orwell wrote in his book 1984, freedom is the freedom to say that two plus two makes four. If that is granted, all else follows we are not truly free if we do not know the truth and cannot speak the truth our freedom depends on the truth so one way to fulfill the fourth great end of the church is to call out lies when we hear them to hold social media accountable to hold our allies accountable as well as our adversaries To refuse to be complicit in lies, including lies that might help our own political causes. We can also venture outside our ideological silos, get curious, ask questions that get get us outside of our bunkers of certainty. Think about how often we listen, not to understand, but in order to refute. All of us can do better to remind ourselves that the main point of gathering information isn't to confirm the views we already hold. It's to better get the truth. Beyond that, we can all strive to model truthfulness, civility, decency, and integrity in our daily lives among our family and friends and colleagues. One person acting alone can't change much. A lot of people acting together create a culture. This isn't just about big public forums or the national stage, but also about the small daily acts of civility and decency, of honesty and integrity. Really the kind of things I see you doing all the time. I notice, people notice, it makes a difference. It creates a culture. Frederick Buechner speculates that when Pilate asks Jesus what is truth, he does so not out of cynicism, but with a lump in his throat. Instead of truth, Pilate has only expedience. He has no loving creator who wants healing, justice, freedom, and love for all creation. No conviction that our courage, our truthfulness, our sacrifice, our hope, and our love all have a greater and godly purpose. That's enough to choke up anybody. Jesus doesn't answer Pilate's question, or at least he doesn't answer with words. Jesus' life has already answered the question. His death will answer further And while raising many more questions, Easter morning will give an even more profound answer. As Buechner writes, he just stands there. Stands and stands there. And the truth will set us free. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.